the last thing I want to mention is, I know I'm, I'm cutting into Jim Catalano's time and I apologize for that. But the last thing I want to mention, just I've jumped on the bandwagon. All these famous drummers are writing books and, um, you know, instructional books are coming up with exercises, drum exercises. So I've come up with my own exercise and I call it the schleppadiddle. Now, if any of you drummers out there are like me, you haven't gigged in about a year now, right? It's been, we've been in kind of gig lockdown for a year. And what happens to me is when I haven't gone on a gig for that amount of time, I forget how to pack my car. I forget how to, you know, efficiently set my drums up. I take stuff out of my trap case and I go, okay, what, how do I, how does my hi-hat go together? And wait a minute, is that my ride cymbal stand? And how do I hook up my bass? So, so here's what I'm, here's what I'm suggesting. This is, this is my schleppadiddle exercise. And I think it's going to be great for all of us drummers. You take your drum set, by the way, check out those beautiful Ludwig drums. You take your drum set, any drum set, and you pack it up into your bags. In my case, my Beto bags and load it into your car. So you're getting the practice of packing your car correctly and efficiently. Drive around the block two or three times. Come back to your house, unpack your drums and set them up. Uh, you might want to try that. Try it a couple of times. I might try that a couple of times. This Saturday at about six o'clock, I'm going to do that. I'm going to, I'm going to pack up a set of drums, load them in my car, drive around the block a couple of times, come back home and set them up so that when it's time to go back and go to work, we'll be efficient. So there's my tip for the day. It's called schleppadiddle. Um, it involves no workout on the pad. It's pure schlepping. Um, and you're welcome. Okay. I think I covered all the bases. I think I did. All right. Um, <laughs> all right. So I'm very excited about Jim Catalano. <laughs> nice Ludwig left-handed kit. Yes, it is, Jim. It sounds beautiful too. All right. I'm glad, James, I'm glad you like my schleppadiddle idea. All right, Bob Harson. Good to see you, man. So I'm going to now bring out my very special guest and my very, very good friend. And, and also, I, I want to say this again, a, a man that I have tremendous admiration and respect for. Um, 36 years, I, I hope I'm right with 36 years, 36 years at Ludwig, but also um, some time at Slingerland and Premier before that. So he's really an icon in the drum industry. Please welcome my good friend, Jim J-Cat Catalano. And there he is. Welcome, Jim. Hey, thanks. Great to be here. Uh, it's great to have you, buddy. Um, and thanks for your comment about my left-handed drum set. Of course. Well, you're you're the one of the only ones I know that does that. Yeah, there's only a, a handful of us weirdos. You can yeah, you can say <laughs> that again. I'm just I, glad I, the stuff can go back and forth either way. Yeah, that's right. Well, you know, when when we did our sound check earlier, I had my Gretsch. Um, I don't know if you even noticed in the background, I had one yeah. of my Gretsch sets. My, and when we finished, I, I had thought about this before and I just didn't have time. But when we finished, I quickly set this set up because I wanted to have that in the background. Thanks. I, I appreciate it. I love Gretsch too, but you know, Ludwig's special for me. I understand. That's I understand. Sure. And we got some, some great folks watching. I can see Uli's watching, Uli Salazar and good man at Ludwig, the man that you've handed the baton to. The, yeah, the he's, got the, he's got the keys. 
the, He's got keys, the keys. The keys that Mr. Ludwig gave to me, Uli Salazar has them going forward for the next generation. That's great. I'll, I'll definitely get Uli on here one of these days. And Todd Trent. Wow. Okay. And I was going to mention Todd. Todd. Todd's watching. One of my Todd, best you're the, friends. Yeah. And could not have survived the years at Ludwig without Todd as far as advisor, artist relations, just, you know, products, everything. I mean, he yeah. was absolutely essential. I, I, yeah, I, I know. And Todd, what a guy, you know, I mean, running the, running the music store, owning the music store. Yeah. And, and running artist relations for Ludwig and, uh, you know, Superman, I, you know, he should have yeah. a big giant T on his, and a, and a cape, you know? Yeah. Definitely Superman. I mean, it yeah. was amazing what he was able to accomplish. Yeah. yeah. You know, so, I, I was just going to say, I don't, you probably don't remember this, but when I bought this drum set, I bought it in the summer of 2017. I remember. I reached, you remember, yeah. <laughs> and, and of course, I got in touch with you and you were kind enough to send me a, a Ludwig logo head for it, which I appreciated. And I've since, and then a, another friend of mine, John Chalden, sent, like the actual sixties, you know, from the sixties, a scripted Ludwig head that he bass drum head that he had. Yeah. But someone, I I'll just say, and, and maybe you can, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but someone had seen this kit and said, well, if it's a 69 kit, they'd actually transition to that logo by that time. So I put that on there, but yeah, no, that's about right. Yeah. Okay. It's the little things, right? Yeah. Really. <laughs> so, I, you know, I hope I have, I hope I have my information correction. 36 years with Ludwig. Yeah. 36, 36 years with Ludwig. I started with Ludwig in 1983. Uh, but, you know, prior to that, you know, I worked for Slingerland for two years. Yep. And, and prior to that, I worked for Premier for three years. Okay. So Premier first, right. Okay. Yep. Yeah. You know, you know, everything was, a, I would say, just kind of a happy coincidence. Okay. You know, like in Seinfeld, you know, pretty big coincidence. No, there's just coincidences. But, you know, it all sort of kind of goes back to, you know, I got accepted to grad school at Notre Dame, you know, for back in 1975. And while I was there, uh, I had just sold my Gretsch 1969 drum set. Wow. Yeah. Kind of a stupid thing to do in hindsight yeah. now. Okay. <laughs> and uh, because I was more of a percussionist and I needed to buy a vibraphone because, you know, I'm sort of a professional vibe player now, not yeah. like Gary Burton. No one can be like Gary Burton, but I'm, but I'm, I'm one of those guys that tries. And so I needed a vibraphone, but I didn't have enough money. So I sold my Gretsch drum set and, uh, you know, I had two thirds of what it was going to cost me to buy a vibraphone. So I bought the vibes and I said, well, maybe someday I'll get a drum set. Well, I had told the, the jazz band director that I was really regretting selling my drum set. And, uh, and, and so he said, well, you know, I got a guy coming over today who might be able to help you. And so that's when I first met a guy named Jim Coffin. Jim Coffin. And, and he came in and we became fast friends. And, and he said to me, he said, hey, why don't you come on over to the plant uh, which was in Elkhart, uh, Notre Dame's in South Bend, and yeah. the plant for Premier at the time was um, was partially owned by by Selmer, and so the plant was in Elkhart, which is a twenty five mile uh, trip. So I drove over there, went to the warehouse, and he said, 
I can sell you any of these drum sets for this price. And let me just tell you, it was a very low price by today's standards, but it was still it was still yeah. some money, okay? Sure, yeah. And yep. so I, I bought a premier four-piece drum set, and boy, I was just thrilled because now I had my drums back, I had my vibes back. I was just really doing doing well. And then later that, you know, then I became a band director after I graduated from Notre Dame, a high school band director. I mean, I literally, wow. that's what I did. I didn't and, know that. Uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I taught both high school and middle school. And I don't know if I was very good at it, but I did it, okay? I'm sure you were good at it. And, uh, and anyway, so I went to the Midwest Band and Orchestra Convention where I actually ran into Jim Coffin. And he remembered me and stuff. And so this was like 1976 or 7. And so finally, in the summer of 1978, uh, I get a call from Jim Coffin. And he said, I need some extra help over here at Premier during the summer. Would you be interested in coming over and helping me with some sales and marketing things for Premier Drums? And I said, well... Yeah, that sounds good. So I went over, talked to him, and before I knew it, I was kind of working. It was full-time work at the time, but it was only going to be for a couple months, mm -hmm. you know, like June and July, you know. And then finally, I said, well, you know, Jim, I got to go back to teaching school. I got to start my band program in August. Mm -hmm. And he said, well, what would it take to get you to stay? And so they made me an offer to stay with the company uh, to you know, to be an employee. And I was sort of his assistant for three years. And let me tell you, it was the, it was, you know, when, when you have a long career and you also, you know, you, you sit back and people say, well, boy, you had a lot of successes along the way. But, you know, those successes are on kind of the shoulders of other people. Yeah. That yep. got you there. In the case of Jim Coffin, he was probably the best mentor teacher, friend that you possibly could ever have, and that he just taught me the ropes the right way. But he also taught me with a sense of humor. I was so going to say. All, it was funny. It was funny. It yeah. was always having a good time. <laughs> and, and, you know, and consequently from there, he introduced me to some people that are important to you too. And, you know, there was a group of guys, Lenny Demuzio, <laughs> Lloyd McCausland, and Jim Coffin, and they were called the Jewops, which stood for Junior Executives Without Power. Because <laughs> they were like in these middle management roles at Remo, Zildjian, and at Premier. Yeah. And uh, they, had, they had very little power, but they were kingpins in our industry. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> and so as a result of that, I'm part of this network of people now. And, you know, Lloyd and Lenny, they sort of took me under their wing, too. And, you know, just sort of taught me so much. I used to just talk to them constantly, not just at shows, but over the phone back then. That's all we had was phone and in person, you know. And, uh, you know, to the point where when I needed symbols, uh, I, I showed a picture the other day of playing. I, I play in the Notre Dame Faculty Jazz Trio. And I, I had a picture of my symbol set up and Paul Francis was on. Uh, you know, and, and he said, hey, you got an original flat top ride from like the 70s. And I said, yeah, that was picked out for me by Lenny DiMuzio. And he said, well, those are kind of rare. That's a really valuable symbol, you know. And yeah. so uh, 
So anyway, so I had all these great experiences to kind of be part of these this network of these these great people, you know. And then finally, I I sort of uh, I got to the point where I had an opportunity to go into advertising and to have a little bit more responsibility. And this was at a time in 1981 when actually uh, the Selmer Company that partially owned Premier divested themselves of Premier, and then they bought Ludwig. Yeah, I forgot all this stuff. But I didn't work for Ludwig then. Right. So I left just before the sale of, of, of Ludwig, and I went to work for Slingerland as the advertising manager, and I worked with a guy named Dick Richardson, who was the president, and a guy named uh, Spence Alicio, and and I was their ad manager. Uh, and uh, boy, that was a great experience too. You know, now I have to admit it was in what we'll call Slingerland's mm, last years. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it was a very struggling time, but I still learned a lot from you know from everybody, and uh, and as a result of that. Working there for the two years I did, that's where I got the call from the Selmer company again. They needed somebody that they knew, that they trusted, that they thought could take on the marketing role at Ludwig. Yeah. And so that's how I went back to the Selmer company and I started working for Ludwig in 1983. And yeah, I lasted for 36 years. I, I never thought I would last that long. Some of the guys that are on right now, like Todd, like Todd especially, every day was the last day. You know, and, and we used to go to shows and for years and years, we I would say to like guys like Ron Danette and different people that had uh, had cameras, I said, hey, can you take my picture with me on the display? I think this is my last show. Well, I, re- I remember you saying that to me a few times. <laughs> And, you know, and, and you'd, we'd sort of laugh about it, but it, I, for me, I'd be thinking, oh God, I hope not. You know, I, I hope for Ludwig's case, that's, that doesn't happen, you know? And I think everybody that, that had some, even if they didn't have a connection to Ludwig felt that way, like, oh no, we need this guy there, think, you know? I think what it got into, it became, you know, kind of a joke in a way, but it became something where it was a self-fulfilling prophecy that if I did not take that photo then it probably would have been the last one. <laughs> I got you. And so by taking the photo gave me a sort of like a, you know, a lease on another year. Yeah. And, and then it went for 36 years, which is really quite phenomenal. You know, uh, especially when it you is. go through a lot of takeovers and going public for, you know, many years and having, you know, different presidents and different styles, a lot of different bosses. I mean, I had 36 bosses 34 bosses in 36 years. Wow. Yeah. You know, and sometimes, you know, they everybody wants to go a different direction. You know, we're going this yeah. way one day, then, then, then they're gone, and now we're going this way. And so you have to learn to go back and forth and be kind of pliable. And I think that was probably one of the reasons why I survived for so long was because I kind of knew my stuff because I had good training, but I didn't get it all absorbed and that, that it was all about me, you know? Yeah. Yep. I, <clears throat> I was going to just say that in all the time, in all the years that I've known you, you know, you, I, I tried to say this during the setup of this whole thing too, was, you know, your humility was always 
omnipresent. You know, you, it was never about you. You never, it was always about the company and, and, uh, you know, and, and I remember like we, we would work together when Danny Gottlieb was playing Ludwig and we were putting some clinics together and you were always, that's what I loved about you was you were always straight up about what you could do and what you couldn't do. And it's like, look, you know, I, this is my budget. Um, I can do this, this, and this, but I can't do those other things. So if you want to do those other things, I, I, I'm sorry, but you know, I mean, as an example, and I think that's what everybody that knows you appreciates about you, that you were, you know, you were just always straight well, about everything. There just had to be a balance. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, you know, you know, revenues, expenditures, you had to make sure that they balanced out, you know, and that's, you know, probably another reason why I kind of survived for the longest time. But, you know, one of the things that I, I get a lot of credit for being at Ludwig a long time and kind of being in a, let's just say in a position of responsibility. But the bottom line goes back to if I didn't have a great factory and great people in the factory yeah, making the products and, you know, diligently always striving to be better and better. And some guys that have been there for a very long time. For example, there's a, a guy named Kelly Turner who actually started it not so much at Ludwig, but working in the North Carolina plant before I even started. So, you know, he's still there. He's, you know, he's, yeah. uh, you know, in his sixties now, but wow. you know, I had so many people that I relied on, but then I would be the one that was out in the public eye. Okay. And as a result of that, everyone knew me. And so I sort of got a lot of the credit when in reality, the credit needs to go back to the people behind the scenes because there were so many people behind the scenes. Sure. Yeah. That's no, that's, that's nice of you to, to make that distinction and clarification, but, but yeah, I, I, and I understand that too. I, I, to some degree can relate to that. And, um, but at the same time, you know, I think, I think you were, I think you were a calming presence to a lot of long time, you know, endorsers that, that absolutely love the brand and love the product. But, you know, there's, there's things changing, as you say, with, yeah. you know, takeovers or, or new people coming in and, and they need that, they need that familiar face. I to, think it's sort of being a, first of all, being a percussionist, you know, yeah, and I wasn't yeah. just a drum set player. I was a guy that played the marimba and I played the timpani and I was in drum corps and, you know, and so I had all of these other attributes as far as being a full total percussionist. And that's what Ludwig and Musser was all about. It was total yeah. percussion. So, you know, you take that side of it and then uh, then you have, we'll call it the business elements. And, you know, my education was in music. It was not in business. Right. Okay? right. But I discovered something pretty early on. I used to sit down and say, oh my gosh, I got to write catalogs now. You know, I mean, people are going to be judging my grammar, things of that nature. <laughs> you know, and then I said, all right, I'm just not going to worry about it. I'm going to write like I talk. When I'm explaining something, I will write that way. And it got me through a lot of years. Yeah. Okay? And, in, and likewise, in presentations, I, I, I've always you know, said that, uh, you know, just being a good communicator is kind of an important thing. You know, I think it was Woody Allen also had this saying that, you know, 80 percent or, you know, success. What is success? 80 percent of success is simply showing up mm -hmm. consistently all the time. The other 20 percent of success is don't be a jerk. Be a nice guy. 
Yeah. You know, be, yeah. you know, treat people they, the way they want to be treated. And you're probably going to have a pretty good run at things. Yeah. I know. No, I very simple, but it's amazing how many people sort of don't understand that, but, but we won't go there, but, but you're right. That's. Yeah. Yeah, I that, think there's an element, there is an element of luck at, luck in a way. You know, I have this saying, I've said it once in another interview, that I was really lucky to go to Notre Dame for grad school on a, on a full-ride scholarship. It's the only way a mailman's son was going to go to Notre Dame, okay? You know, but I did, I, and I graduated. So graduating wasn't luck, that was work. That's okay? right, yeah. And I think I was pretty lucky to have all the stars line up and getting my first job with Premier and then again with, uh, well, we'll say with Ludwig in 1983. And that was lucky. And then a lot of things happened, but yeah. you had to do a lot of work. You had to put in the time. Right. And, you know, hopefully, thankfully, I survived a very, very long time uh, through that. But it was because I loved the product. But I always said... I didn't work for the company as much as I worked for the brand. I worked yeah, for the brand. Yeah. And that was out of my my utter respect, of course, for the chief, Bill Ludwig yeah. Jr., or Bill yeah. Ludwig II, as he changed his name to. And, you know, I, I just loved the guy. And, you know, he just took me under his wing. And I think about just how blessed I was that he said, you know, Jimmy, I'm going to teach you everything that I know. Now, he was retired. He didn't yeah. have to do that. But we got him out on the road, traveling to shows, used to see him constantly. Yeah, absolutely. You know? And so as a result of that, spending all this time with him, I, I got to know what I call the stories behind the stories, why things happened. Okay. That's and cool. so it was just a pretty cool thing. I imagine you had very similar things with, with Armand and Leggy and, and, uh, and, uh, Lenny, et cetera. Absolutely. Yeah, I did. And, and, uh, and, and we want to talk more about your experiences, but yeah, I, I like yourself though. I, I feel so incredibly fortunate to have had all that time with Armand and Lenny and, and, uh, you know, it, it was, uh, yeah, I mean, it was, it was the most amazing uh, kind of mentorship and, and experience. And, you know, like yourself, I'd already worked in the industry a few years before that job, but, but that, that was, a you know, I went from Simmons to DW, which was a step up. And then what I looked to be the real major leagues was Zildjian and, and with Armin and Lenny. And, you know, I, I already knew you at that point, but it's just like you were saying, you know, those guys thought the world of you, you know, Armin and Lenny, we'd see you at, at Nam or at PASIC or at any of the shows. And, and Lenny, you know, Lenny would say, yeah, Johnny, yeah. Uh, Jimmy Catalano needs a couple of uh, symbols over at the Ludwig booth. Let's, let's get them, you know, and, and, <laughs> you know, you were just, yeah. I mean, it was, and I, and I want everybody to know, I mean, you, you, I think you sell yourself short as a drummer. I know you're a fine vibe player, but I've heard you play drum set and you are one heck of a fine drum set player man i, I actually I just, do drum, drums is my best thing and i actually do that the most okay and uh yeah you know and i, I enjoy in fact i'm one of the lucky ones you know sometimes when you're in during these pandemic times okay i am luckier because i'm doing small time gigs that's great and so like from i would say from june through the end of september i actually had like a dozen gigs good paying gigs Okay, wow. but 
they're small time gigs, not compared to like what the big guys do. Sure, and, uh, but yeah, that that's okay though. I oh, hey Jim, right. I I just want to read a couple of quick comments because you're probably not able to see these, but I I don't yeah. want them to to go away and then miss them. But our good friend Ron Danette, who you just were talking about, I just this is really nice. He said Jim is my mentor, my role model. I miss his company and conversations. If you are ever in a room with Jim, the best thing you can do is shut up and listen. I just think that's, he's right. That's, I, tr Ron, well, I try you, Ron, to, <laughs> I try to do the same thing. I just try to just absorb it. I want to say on a personal note that um, when I was coming up, you're a few years older than me. And when I was coming up in the business, you know, I looked at you and, and some of the guys that had been around for a few years before, like, you know, Steve Edelson and the late great Steve Edelson and, and Rick Drum and, and of course yourself and, you know, you guys were that generation of kind of after Lenny and Jim Coffin and Lloyd and, and the Jew ops that were the, you know, the new guys at that time that were moving and shaking, you know, and, and I really looked up to you guys and, and, and I, and I appreciate you letting me into your little club, so to speak. Well, you know, I mean, yeah. it's all part of the, what I call the succession plan. Okay. And I mean, you experienced it and, uh, and so that's what I got to experience too with, with Jim Coffin, with Bill Ludwig. It was always about succession because they cared about the future. And when yeah. they when they kind of latched on to someone that they thought had, let's say, the chops, okay, yeah. to do the whole gig, then they put all their effort into that person to make sure that they gave him the correct tutelage to take it to the next level. You know, and so that was where we're, you know, I was so, so lucky. You know, John, you and I met early on in my career at Ludwig. And I, I'm going to say, was there a store that you worked at once called Mr. G's? Yeah, I, I actually said it. Um, I wasn't sure. I'm glad you weren't watching during my intro for you because I mentioned we met at, it was called Freddie G's. Freddie G's. So close. Freddie yeah. G, Freddie Gilfeather. And my recollection, we opened that store in 1984. Okay. Does that sound right, that it would have been that year? Yes, that, that would be around the year. And that was the year when I was on that particular trip. Uh, I also, uh, you know, I stayed in, in that area. You know, I was traveling around that area. Well, that would be the Boston area, right? Yes, yep, so, just north of Boston. So I was I was staying that, that night after I met you. And I think it was Weymouth. Am I saying that right? Weymouth, yeah. Mass Massachusetts. I, uh, I was in a hotel and uh, all of a sudden the fire alarm went off <laughs> and I panicked and I, I just, I didn't know, you know, what, what's going on and stuff like that. And I go to my door and I look out the peephole and across from my door was the elevators and there was a, uh, the thing that you, you put cigarettes in, like one of these, it's a stand oh, with sand on the top. Yeah, yeah. It was on fire. Hmm. So I actually was in a fire that night that I met, the night after I met you. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And and I had to be removed from my room, of course. I, I And I was the guy that actually, luckily, the, the fire extinguisher was right near me. So I was able to get it out. You With got the it. help of another guy, did the whole thing upside down. You know, you had to turn it upside down and everything. Yeah. Oh, and my so, gosh. So th to finish up the story, they moved me to another wing because everybody in that wing had to be evacuated because of smoke. The fire wasn't that bad. It was mainly smoke. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, 
So they put me in another wing. And then that morning I went down to check out and they say, oh, Mr. Catalano, thank you so much for being the person that found the fire last night. And uh, we really appreciate it. That'll be eighty nine ninety five. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah, yeah, it's like, hey, no problem. Thanks. Welcome to Boston. Yeah, you're waiting for them to say, please accept a complimentary room. You know, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I was even in the paper that morning. I remember I was I was interviewed the night before. Oh wow! Um, you know, by by the news and stuff like that. As you know part of this this hotel fire it was relatively minor okay but still and yeah. uh, it was just really funny and stuff so i like telling that story because it connects directly to <laughs> the the time that i first met you wow i never heard that that part of it i that's a well you'll always remember that our our meeting and that visit to boston <laughs> and and i, I was it. telling everybody i a year later in 85, I remember it being 84, a year later in 85, when I started working for Simmons, I remember seeing you at a NAMM show and, and I reintroduced myself to you and you remembered me like a, immediately you said, oh yeah, the Freddie G, you know, Freddie G's and, and I, I feel like, I mean, this was 36 years ago, but you yeah. recalled a good part of the conversation we'd had. And I was just so impressed by that. You know, I just, all I wanted to do was say hello <laughs> and, and you're like, yeah, I remember that. And, and yeah. Well, you know, we're, we're very similar. I think, I think, you know, uh, I'm, I'm Italian. I think you might be Italian. Oh, I am. Yes. Yeah, okay. <laughs> and and our, our noses are exactly the same and, and stuff. And so, so I actually, I, same you know, height. a lot of people said same height. We, we yeah. sort of look alike in some ways. Only you have better <laughs> hair than I do. <laughs> I don't know. It's uh, it's, I don't know about that. Well, I, I, a couple other quick questions. I just want to run by you that um, have come through before they, disappear. And then I see them later and go, Oh, I wish I thought to ask Jim that question. Um, my friend, Anthony Kushina is asking Jim, could you share with us? What is your, what, are, Oh, what are you doing these days? But I think he also asked you, we can get to that, but I think it was Anthony that, yeah, sorry. Anthony said, do you know if Ringo used a mahogany or maple kit? And this would be something I'd be interested to know as well. Presumably the, you know, the original. Yeah, oyster I'm pretty sure kit. the original drum set was a mahogany kit. The original, okay. the original, you know, 62, uh, three, well, 63 kit was would have, which he got in 63. Yeah. Didn't, we didn't see him until 64. Although remember the kit that we saw on the Ed Sullivan show was technically brought in. That wasn't yes. his kit. Okay. It just right. made, it looked like his kit. It just, it was a duplicate. Okay. Yeah. Yep. So I'm the pretty sure that was mahogany at that particular time. Uh, and uh, you got to remember back in those in those days, you know, even after the beetle boom happened, there was a lot of shifting around of woods that had to do with filling supply because the demand was so high. So they yeah. used a lot of different woods. And that is why a lot of drums ended up getting spray painted white on the inside. OK. All right. That was my and I'd, I'd heard that and I was going yeah. to ask you that. And that's yeah, that makes perfect sense. Yeah. Mr. Ludwig said that they had to do it. It was just something that was essential because they were, they, uh, even Bill Three would tell me that they were working basically two full shifts every day, you know, six days a week, not seven. And, you know, they only take off major holidays like Christmas and Thanksgiving and New Year's and Easter and things like that. Well, that was Sunday, but, but still they would, uh, they were working all the time during that particular, yeah. you know, era. So uh, they, they had to do a lot of stuff. I mean, a lot of my friends, you know, like uh, a guy named Chuck Hewick, who worked, you probably remember Chuck. I remember Chuck. With me. Yep. 
I mean, he was a very valuable Ludwig guy, and we were, you know, great friends. One of the stories I love to tell about Chuck is that when I first joined Ludwig, uh, I was not exactly real popular. And what I mean by that is that here I am, I'm a, you know, happy guy. I was just happy to have a job, okay, in 1983. <laughs> but when the Selmer people would have me go up to the Damon Avenue plant, where I spent most of my time, I had to wear a suit. And back then, it was a three-piece suit, okay? Yeah. So I had yeah. to be part of that, you know, management team thing, okay? And it did not go over real well with the with the guys that had worked for Ludwig for many years. And so, so you know, Chuck became a very good friend, and he actually worked on Damon Avenue and then came to Elkhart in the transition. He was one of the only ones that did. And, uh, but still, it was a you know, one of my best friends, and he still is today. However, in the beginning, it was difficult getting going. So yeah. anyway, yeah, so one of the questions there, what am I doing today? Well, I retired at the end of June of 2019. And guess what I was going to do most of the time? Gig. I was going to play right. my drums, <laughs> play my vibes. I was going to play symphonic percussion. I had it all down. And I was so busy from July 1st of, of 2019 until March of 2020, that it was crazy. And, uh, and then, of course, like with everybody, everything stopped. So I lost a lot of my gigging. Uh, and then uh, the other thing that I do, though, is uh, for the last four whole years, I've been a college percussion teacher. So even in my final years of working at Ludwig, I started doing a night job. I know it sounds weird. Why do you have to do a night job? You know, and but I was trying to get in. I was trying to become an, what's called an adjunct instructor. So I got a job at two colleges, uh, the University of Notre Dame, which I'm an, uh, a graduate of, and also at a college called St. Mary's College. Uh, at Notre Dame, I teach drum set students primarily. And I teach really smart, smart students who are aeronautical engineering majors, chemical engineering majors, finance majors, stuff like that. But they're drum set players and they're pretty good too. And they want to expand their drum set abilities. So I do that. And, you know, I teach there uh, maybe this, this semester is six hours a week. Okay. And then I also teach at uh, St. Mary's College, which is across the street. There I actually have music majors. So I actually teach marimba and timpani and concert snare drum and all that kind of stuff. Wow. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so that's a little more challenging because I have to keep up on the levels that students need to be at because I, I benchmark a lot of things to what other colleges are doing so that I know that my students are on the same level because it's a degreed program. And so I'm, you know, constantly trying to... Uh, you know, brush up on my, my teaching, but also my playing. So like my marimba playing, I've really had to make a lot of advancements there. And to tell you the truth, I'll never really get there because what is done on marimba today is kind mm -hmm. of a, way above my abilities, you know. So that's what I do. So I teach mostly and, and I, I will play. In fact, I yeah. probably have 20 gigs booked starting um, uh, in May. Between May out until <laughs> September or so, I have about 20 gigs booked. Almost all of them are outside. And uh, 
socially distant, and so I'm I'm looking forward to it to get back out there. It's good that I am a vibes player, a drum set player, and a symphonic percussionist. So that way I get the variety of what I'm doing. Yeah, that's fantastic. Are you? Did you get vaccinated, Jim? Or have oh, yeah. you got your shot? Yeah, you well, did. Well, you know, I'm 67 years old, so I got both of them now. Great. Good so, man. Yeah. Yeah. I got I got uh, the Johnson and Johnson on Mon- two days ago Monday, um, just by happenstance. I I was able at sixty. I was eligible to go, and that's that's what the, was on the menu that day. And uh, there were others there for their second shot, so they were. You could see they had. I'm sure you remember they have different stations where people were getting Pfizer and Moderna shots. But I, yeah. since it was my first shot, they took me right to the Johnson and Johnson aisle, and uh, and yeah, really happy. Yeah, same here. So yeah, it's good. Yeah, it's it's a start. Um, someone had asked, and I and I I apologize to the person that asked this question. I I thought I pinned it. I'll probably see it. Uh, but they had asked, I think, for you to maybe share a memory or maybe to talk about Eric Carr. Um, oh, I know it had easy. Oh, here it is. Okay, yeah, it was Kyle Schneider who said, uh, "What can you tell me about any of Eric Carr's kits?" Well, you know, Todd Trent is the guy that knows everything about Eric Carr's kits, okay? Yeah. Uh, you know, Todd would get the order together, send it to me, would get it to the factory, the factory would make it, get it out there. And and of course, you know, prior to myself, Bill 3 was involved a ton in Eric Carr's kits. Yes. So yeah. I really don't know a whole lot about the details of Eric Carr's kits to sort of go back and remember and say, oh, it was this or that or whatever. I can only tell you this that in the early part of my career, Eric Carr was just the nicest person you could imagine. Yeah. And yeah. here this guy with the, the hair and the look and, you know, kind of in a band that maybe had a couple guys that weren't always noticed as or known as the nicest guys. Yeah. Okay. All right. But <laughs> Very yeah, well this, said. Guy, this guy was a sweetheart. Yeah. And, and yeah. he would show up at the NAM show. He'd be there maybe for two days and he would be there from 10 in the morning until 6 o'clock in the evening and then want to hang. And then he'd be taking pictures with people and signing autographs and was just so kind and gentle. And what a refreshing thing to, mm-hmm. uh, you know, to experience. I mean, I got, you know, great. I mean, you, you know, you, you did the artist thing. Okay. Okay. <laughs> and so uh, I just had great experiences with artists. Yeah. You know, yeah. you can maybe see over my this shoulder my my Ringo drum head. I don't oh, know. Yeah, if I see you it. Can see it. You know. Yeah. Uh, you know when and as you know when you meet Ringo, the rules of engagement are you don't engage him; he engages you. Yes. Okay. He's a beetle. He's a beetle. Right. And so yep. you know you don't go up and say, "Hey, Ringo, how you doing, man?" No, you wait for him to come to you. Yeah. Okay. Yep. And uh, you know so. You know, in the years that I worked for Ludwig, I really only met him a few times, maybe seven or eight times or so, and really only talked to him at length about maybe three times. Okay. So, yeah. so but still, it, it was great and stuff. Now, other artists, different story. You know, guys like, like an Ed Shaughnessy, that would be a, you know, totally different story. Just a great guy. I do have a quick story for you on, on, um, uh, Ed Shaughnessy and Louis yeah. Belson that I like to tell. Oh so, yeah, absolutely. So it was, uh, uh, so we talked about Rick drum for Remo. Okay. So, and, uh, 
So Rick Drum, I went out to visit Remo, and and I was always close with Remo Belly, the man. Okay, mm-hmm. and so in fact, uh, yeah, you know, here's my, you know, a picture I found of of Remo and I going way back. Wow. But anyways, uh, so I'm visiting the Remo factory, and it's my last day there. I'm taking the red eye back that night, and Rick says, "Hey, we need to go down to Burbank." And I said, "Okay, well, what's up?" And he said, "Well." Louie is the guest artist tonight. He's sort of a last-minute fill-in. So we're going to go down and, and uh, you know, hang out with Louie for this show, for the, you know, the taping of the show. There was a rehearsal, like, at 3 and then the taping at 5. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so I, he said, so why don't you come with us? And so I said, okay. So I have all my stuff, you know, my bag with me and everything. He so said, just bring it along. And so we go to the, the taping, and uh, Louie's not there. Louis is hung up in the air. Yeah. Air travel delays. Yeah. But his his brother, Hank, brought the drum kit in. So he had his, I believe it was the Remo kit already at that time. Okay. And and so he has the kit all set up. And so Ed Shaughnessy has to do the uh, rehearsal. Okay. Uh, Because, uh, you know, Louis's not there. So. And I got to not, I'm not going to say meet Johnny Carson, but I got to be introduced to Johnny Carson. And that, again, a little bit like meeting a Beatle. Well, that's, yeah, but that's, that's, you could say you met him. I mean, you were introduced to him, you met Johnny Carson. That's way cool. So anyway, so all of a sudden now they say, okay, he's not going to be here for the rehearsal. And so NBC studio sent a helicopter to LAX to pick up Louis Belson as soon as he landed and bring him, fly him right to Burbank, right to the studios. And just as they're getting ready to tape, he comes in. And, he, <laughs> and remember, he's not just the musical guest. He's the, the talking guest, too. Ah, uh, okay. okay? Yep. So he does his talk thing. And him and Johnny are, you know, very close because, you know, Johnny loved Louie and Buddy, of course. Sure. And, yeah. uh, and so afterwards, uh, after the taping and stuff is done... Uh, Rick Drum says, uh, hey, Jim, you want to go hang with us? We're going to go out to dinner with Louie and the band. So here I am, not Doc Severinsen, because Doc is, is different, but the whole band and Louie Belson and Ed Shaughnessy and Rick Drum and I, we are uh, out to dinner at a little Italian place, you know, right there in Burbank. And then I'm saying, well, you know, guys, I mean, I got to I got to catch a red eye. <laughs> I, I got to get to the airport. And so like around 930, I'm starting to get a little nervous here, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and so so Louie hears me. He says, Jim, are you on the such and such a flight at, at midnight back to Chicago? And I said, well, yes, I am. He said, don't worry about it. I'll get you. Th- I'll get you to the airport. So we go out to the curb after the dinner and up comes this rickety old panel van. And there's Hank Belson, his his brother. His brother, Ryan. yeah. And so, you know, Louie opens up the, the side door, which was real rickety and rusty, et cetera. Remember, <laughs> he flew in in a helicopter. Okay? Yeah. <laughs> now there's a panel van. We open up the side door, and there's all the drum cases in there. And <laughs> Louie says, pick a case. And I said, well, aren't you going to sit up front? With, with your brother? And he said, there's no seat on that side. <laughs> so this was a panel van that only had one seat. And so here I am, you know, pretty young in my career. I think this was 85 or so. And I'm sitting 
in a back of a rusty panel van with the, the, the show star of that particular night as we're, you know, bouncing our way through the L.A. freeways back yeah. to the airport to catch our flight. Down the 405 freeway. Oh, my yeah. God. That's, that's hilarious. But, but it made for being a lifelong friend with Louis Belson. And he always remembered that. And, you know, every time that I saw him at shows, he would he would talk about that and how how you know fun that was and how was it it was how nice it was to meet me and of course he was italian too so we yeah, had this yeah. connection you know and and uh, so i like telling that story cuz it was just you know such a neat thing i love that story you know and, and it's 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 you know it's perfect because it sums up louis in a nutshell you know here he is like you say he comes in in a helicopter He's the he's not only the you know the guest drummer but he's the he's the featured guest of the Tonight Show you yeah. know the biggest show on TV and then he's <laughs> he's taking the ride with you he's seeing you off at the airport on a yeah. red eye <laughs> sitting on yeah. a drum case right I mean oh yeah no big deal you know he you know he 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 just assumed you know give you a piggyback ride to the airport if he could have you know oh yeah you know yeah. and you know hanging was, with all of these guys like Louis Belson Joe Morello Alan Dawson. Yeah. Uh, every time Danny Gottlieb and I too. Every time we were together, it was sort of like Jim. You got your sticks with you? Well, yeah. Or in the case of Alan Dawson, do you have your brushes with you? And oh, yeah, and I always knew if I was going to be with Alan Dawson, I'm bringing brushes because he would he would say, "Let's work out. Let's do some working out." And so he, you know, so here I was. Let's just say a, you know, a, I don't know, standard mediocre drummer, but I get to hang with these titans of the drum industry yeah. and not just get to know them personally but to actually get some some um, teaching from them also as we're hanging out and that's, so yeah so great yeah that's huge jim you know i i and i'm just gonna say that i i i wish you know i had stopped playing for pretty much my entire time at zildjian you know just because of the the travel and just the time restraints and all that kind of nonsense and and I'm so happy for you that that you continue to play and you continue to to you know you have these great relationships with these incredible drummers and they they recognized you as a as a peer you know what I mean that you you were able to to talk I mean I you know I I talk shop with these guys too but it's so cool because we've talked about this that you know you're you're, you're trading fours with you know with Louis Belson or or like yeah. you say you know brushes well, with Alan Dawson. It's one time I was at the Frankfurt Fair in Germany. And I think this was probably early on, 86 or 7, 8, something like that. And I'm with Danny Gottlieb. And he said, Hey Jim, we're gonna go tonight and we're gonna hang out with Joe and uh uh and um Morello. Uh, Joe Morello. Joe Morello. Yeah. And uh, uh, all right, help me out here. I just lost his his the drummer that was on uh, for Conan, who you got me to oh. see. Max Weinberg. Max, Max Weinberg. Yeah. And Max is going to be there. And uh, uh, Nick Mason's going to be there. And oh. I, whoa. And so I went with Danny and we we're hanging out and we we're in this big drum room and stuff. And everybody was sort of having fun and everybody was trading fours. And there, there was a lot of kits in there. And, and you know, d people were taking turns. And of course, John, this is during a time period when we didn't carry cameras. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I mean, I, that's the thing. I mean, I, I just I can't believe it. all the times that I was in places that I didn't have a camera. I can't record it like we can today. Yeah. And it was, you know, like, 
like no one's going to believe me that I got to, <laughs> you know, trade fours with Max Weinberg or Joe Morello or or any of these guys. They're never going to believe it, you know. <laughs> And then go to dinner, and then then um, Nickel McBrain would show up, and would go to dinner at the and you know the place in Germany down from the the Messe. It was called the Hesserscherhof. Yes, yeah. yeah, very very swanky old old German kind of a of a restaurant where yeah. you had a waiter for each person, and all your food came out with a dome on it, and they would yeah you know and very swanky. And of course, yeah. when we would go to those kind of places, it was bedlam. It was crazy. And it was just so much fun though. So Yeah, yeah. I know Frankfurt it was uh I, I was talking with someone recently about um I'm trying to remember I, I I can't keep my guests straight, but we were talking about the Frankfurt show and and uh you know for all its craziness and its in, you know intensity, it was it was always a fun hang to you know after hours. It was Much kind like of my favorite show. If I, you know, I mean, the Chicago Drum Show is my favorite show. Okay, yeah, I yeah. love the vintage vibe and just the people that are there. But as far as a commercial show, the Frankfurt Fair was always my favorite, and we we just always had a great time. In the later years, Todd Trent used to go with me to that show, and and we just always had a great time, and it was uh, just wonderful. I, yeah. I do have another story I got to tell you about the yeah. very early years. So. You know, Ludwig moved out of Damon Avenue in 1984 uh, over Thanksgiving, mm -hmm. and they moved to Monroe, North Carolina. And of course, that was a pretty traumatic thing to have happen. I mean, you're leaving your hometown. You're moving from Chicago. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, I had to work with a lot of people that didn't know stuff about the drum business. And in some ways, that was bad, but in some ways, that was also very good. And so... After the plant had moved, they said, Jim, we need you to go up and we need to do some cleanup work. And do you mind? And of course, you got to remember, even though I was called the marketing manager, I'm still pretty junior. Okay. <laughs> and I got to do a lot of, a, a lot of dirty work. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so, so I go up there and, and, you know, someone says, now we have a bunch of stuff in the artist section that we need to get cleaned up. We have a lot of, uh, you know, and so can you take all of these drum heads down to the dumpster? And I said, well, sure, I'll be glad to. And there was all just a bunch of beat up drum heads. And I said, well, so what are these from? And they said, oh, they're from the artist kits. Oh, okay. So I go down and I'm throwing drum heads like Frisbees into, into this big dumpster. Yeah, kind of having fun with it a little bit. And I missed a few and I'd have to go out and retrieve them, etc. I get down to the bottom of the box and I called this particular person over who was from the band instrument division. And I said, hey, there's a there's three drum heads that I found here that have some initials on them. And he said, yeah, well, I don't know what those are. Yeah, well, just throw them away. I said, well, if you don't mind, since I'm throwing them away, can I keep them? Can I have them? Well, yeah. Why would you want things with initials on them, though? And I said, well, just as a memento of this particular occasion, because we're getting, you know, the plants closing, etc. So the first one I got, I like to, to show this one. This is an original Ed Shaughnessy drum head. Look at that. Yeah. Front head from Ed Shaughnessy. Second one I got... Joe Morello. Joe Morello, right? Wow. And then, of course, I think you know where I'm going with this. Yes. And this is the third one that I have. 
an original Buddy Rich front drum head. And, and so, you know, here I am walking out with these and, and it was almost like, yeah, the kid wants these things with these initials on them. I don't know why. And I said, well, they're just kind of cool. You know, I could maybe use them for, you know, maybe as a painting canvas or something like that. I can have people paint pictures on them and stuff. They said, okay, kid, whatever floats your boat, you know? And I said, okay. So anyways, as soon as I got home, I put those away and I said, this is gold. Oh man. Yeah. That actually happened to me quite often. Okay. Where I would find things and stuff like that. And people didn't know exactly what they were. Yeah. Yep. So, uh, and if they were going to be thrown away, then it's, you know, then it's fair game. Right. I mean, why why not? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we threw uh, tons of tons of stuff away, you know? And yeah. So, so yeah. Anyway. Wow. Another one of those cool stories. That's a great story. I want to just quickly, um, Mention a couple of guys. I, I saw that Grant Henry, our friend Grant Henry, was watching yeah. earlier, and uh, he made a comment. I'll see if I can find it. It was a very nice comment. No surprise. Um, see if I can find it. Well, in the meantime, uh, Dave Wilkinson over in the UK. I know oh, you know yeah. Dave. Yep. Yeah. Hi, Jim. Good to see you. Looking so well. Ludwig's still going strong here in the UK. So Good. Yeah, good man, that Dave. Top chap, as we say. Um, <laughs> yeah, you got some great, um, great comments here, Jim, which you can see, you know, if you want to watch this later. And yeah. and I was going to say, f- totally up to you, but feel free if there's some things that I've missed here that I haven't mentioned to you and you want to reply to some of these questions, by all means, um, you can do that. Ron sure. Danette said, rest in peace, Frankfurt. Yeah, I know. We don't mean that. <laughs> <We're> not- <laughs> yeah, it, it was a fun hang. I didn't. Oh yeah, Grant said. Grant Henry said, "I'm I am forever grateful for the years of J Cat stories. I was fortunate enough to hear." Yeah. Well, thank you. That was you know you know that's just it. You know, working in the drum industry was it it was hard work, but it was a lot of fun too. And and when you think about it, that you know, all I wanted to be was a drummer. That was all I ever wanted to be. And the just the simple fact that I kind of got the, the the path to be able to do that okay and yes there was you know there's the, the stresses of business etc but yeah to be a drummer and to work in the drum industry uh i call it my e true hollywood story <laughs> i mean i mean how I mean, how perfect is that yeah well so, i i have to say you know you earlier on and well, while we've been talking here you said you mentioned luck and, and, uh, you know, and I'm, I'm not comparing myself to you by any means, but, but when I've talked about my working in the industry, I've said, yeah, you know, I was lucky, but I, I think you and me and, and other guys, we've talked about maybe Rick drum. And at the end of the day, it, it might've been luck that, that you got that first connection to, to, uh, Jim Coffin and he brought you into premiere that year. And, but, it was your hard work, and let's face it: if you hadn't been good at what you what you do, you wouldn't have got that call in 1983 from Ludwig from Selmer to come work for Ludwig. So I think you 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 know you're a humble guy, and I think you know you should accept and, and that. I was just that it, around a lot of good people. You know, another guy yeah. that I learned so much from you you probably remember him from, from early shows. His name was Dick Gerlock. Sure. Yeah. I remember Gerlock, that. We called him the Sergeant Major because he was like a military guy. 
Okay. He looked very, yeah. Yeah. Stocky and stocky. Yeah. And, and I mean, and he could, he could kick your butt. I mean, literally, I, I, in yeah. fact, he's anyone common and he can still kick your butt. Okay. <laughs> but, but I learned so much from him. And I, I like to say that there wasn't a thing that I did at Ludwig that I didn't run past him first as a, as a sounding board. Cause you know, he had was, he was the sales manager for years. And he was with the company, I think, since 1962 or something of that nature. Wow. So, yeah. you know, so he was, you know, quite a sounding board for for everything. But, you know, almost everything I did at Ludwig, I did it in cooperation when we're developing products. See, my job was kind of different. You know, today, you know, you have Terry Bissett, who is there with his sales team of uh, of Mike Nealon and Josh Touchton. And you got Uli and, and Bob Henry. And these are... You know, all the guys that are, you know, working the, the Ludwig thing. But when I was there, I was kind of, at first I had Bill Ludwig III, but then he left in 1990. And lots of times I was by myself. But there were guys from the plant that would step up to try to help me in marketing things. A guy named John Cummings was was one of these guys, especially with marching stuff. Mm-hmm. But having to cover not just the combo market, but the marching market. And the Musser mallet instrument market, and the timpani market, and the educational kit market, and then be in charge of sales and marketing, and education, and product development. And then, as when you now have to start getting, you're making things in the USA, but now you're also making things in foreign countries. Yeah. Now you got to start traveling at first to Taiwan, and then later on to China. Yeah to line up all of these things and, you know, and establishing relationships with, uh, with factories and, and building products that are going to be at certain price points so that you could stay effective in the market. That's what it was all about, you know, being, being price effective in what I call the race to zero. The race to zero was (laughs) everything just had to keep getting cheaper and cheaper Uh, in order to make it in the market, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and so, so that it was just a, a great experience, but there was so much responsibility. And then whenever somebody new would come in, they wouldn't understand all of that. And so it was always a challenge to bring the new people up to speed and, you know, to just to get it, you know, so, you know, this is what we got to do. Yeah. And, and hope, you know, without being presumptuous, but like you say, that you, someone new would come in, you'd have to bring them up to speed and you'd hope that they'd stay long enough for it to be worth that period of time it took you to basically train them to kind of understand things. Because I, I know I went through that where we get somebody new in um, and not necessarily someone that worked for me, but somebody that was above me, that was a controller or a CFO or somebody. And, you know, you, they're, they're a business person. They're not from the industry. They really don't know. They think we're selling widgets, you know, and, yeah. and, you know, you finally get get them up to speed, and then they're gone. They're yeah. off to another company. You know, to to do what they do. So, yeah, it's I, I totally I I know, and and I and that's another reason why you know I, I thirty six years and 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 the way you managed to keep all those balls in the air and all those things that you did. I had a very remarkable. good a very good president of the company in my tenure from 1991 to 2002. His name was Tom Brzezicki. And Tom Brzezicki was, he was the president and CEO of the company, but he was a musician. He was a keyboard player 
and it was a composer. And so he really had an affinity for music. Okay. Mm -hmm. But he was a brilliant economist too. Okay. And a brilliant businessman. And he was the kind of guy that would come into your office the day before the sales meeting and say, so Jim, what am I going to see tomorrow at the sales meeting? And I'd say, well, Tom, you this and that. And he said, great. He said, we're going to make money on this stuff, right? I said, well, yes, sir. I'm not going to launch any products. We're not going to make money on. And he said, this is what I love about you, Jimmy. You know, and then <laughs> the meeting would be done. He yeah. had enough faith and confidence to let you do the job. And, and so he was uh, just a great influence with me, still is today. You know, I've stayed in touch with him. He was a professor at Notre Dame uh, for after he left uh, Con Selmer. And uh, so, you know, learned, learned a ton from him. But it was, you know, guys like that, that really helped cement learning big business skills. Okay. You know, yes, there's the industry things that we need to know. But then yeah. you got to look at things in a macro kind of a way for sustainability, for having the company be able to make it to the next, the next decade. Yeah. Things yeah. that you had to do in order to, you know, to make that all right. And, you know, when I had other guys earlier, there was another gentleman named Pete Ryan, who was a vice president of marketing. And Billy and I both worked for him. And I tell you, we learned a ton from him. Now, he wasn't easy. He was tough. He was a, kind that. of a Marine yeah. kind of a guy, too. But you loved him. You know, you knew he was a good guy. You knew his heart was in the right place. And he was a guy that was work, 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 all the time work. And I'll, I'll just tell you this one story. I think it's 87 or 8. We get back from the Frankfurt Fair and we don't get in until 2 o'clock in the morning. And we leave the airport at 2 o'clock in the morning. Oh, he says, gosh. I'll see you at 8, Jimmy. 8 o'clock. <sighs> ah, yes, sir. Yes, sir. I'll be there. And you were. And so yeah. I can honestly say my work ethic came from the training and the tutelage that I had under a guy like a Pete Ryan. Yeah. Because it was no nonsense. But, you know, boy, it was, you know, it was good training. If you, you know, if you wanted to make it, this is what you had to do to, 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 to make it. That's, I'm glad you, you said that. And I'm glad you told that story. Um, you know, I think I I don't doubt that one bit. I, I when I started at Zildjian, um, there was a, a very very strong work ethic. Um, the people that were there at the time, and it wasn't like it was even forced upon me. But you, like yourself, you learn by example, and you see the, the people around you, whether they're your boss or just another coworker. And I think it instills this this um not even so much loyalty but just a an, an ethic a work ethic that and i think i had a pretty good work ethic anyway but but yeah you know i mean you and i we, we worked a lot of weekends and a lot of nights and and you didn't get that comp time back you know you miss your kid's birthday when you're on the road somewhere and and all those things and and i'm not saying people aren't working hard now but it's changed a lot i think in the industry too where uh, and it's probably better i don't mean to sound like People aren't working hard enough, but it's different. And I think that, like yourself, I think this is what you're saying. And I know it's for me. It definitely helped shape me um, into who I became and, and really instilled a strong work ethic yeah. in the way I did things. And I, and I, yeah. And I, you know, I give a lot of credit to my wife also, because my wife, to be able to support me where I still wanted to be a gigging musician, 
performing out there. Yeah. But I had these business responsibilities for my job, which included traveling all around the world. I mean, I sat down once and, and wow. I used to keep track of every time I, I had to travel to foreign countries. And I logged up 37 trips to Europe. Wow. Yeah. And about six trips to China, similar number to Taiwan, et cetera. And after a while, you know, you sit back and you say, holy cow. I really went a lot of places and, and that meant that my wife was by herself to deal with things on her own, et cetera, yeah. et cetera. And it was in an era, a lot of it was in an era of pre-email and pre, uh, you know, uh, easy communication. Yeah. Yep. You know, and then there was also times that I would, when I first got my first Blackberry or something, I'm, I'm sitting in the back of a, of a, of a car in China and I'm, we're, we're bouncing all over the place <laughs> and I'm, I'm getting physically sick and the car's going a hundred miles an hour and there's wrecks everywhere. And it's sort of like, dear Pam, I don't know if I'm going to survive the day. <laughs> I just want you to know, I love you. And, and I, I hope, I hope I see you again. <laughs> Send quick. Yeah. <laughs> but that was the experiences that we had. Yeah, you know, yeah. In, in some of those travel situations, uh, especially to countries like China. But I can also tell you this, that in the times I went to China, every time was different, but it was better. Every time yeah. was better. And so uh, maybe not the driving part, but as far as everything else part, it, it yeah. was better. At first, it was pretty rough. The other types of conditions. Yeah, I'd, yeah. I'd, I'd heard that too. And, and uh, you know... I, Gosh, we're, well, we still have time. We're about an hour and 15 in. And I, I, I wanted to ask you um, a couple of things, too. You, you had that awesome Buddy Rich uh, bass drum logo heads. And Buddy, when you joined in 83, Buddy was still with Ludwig at that time? No, he had left yeah. already. He had left. He, okay. I think he left sometime in 82 because I was working for Slingerland at the time that Buddy left Ludwig. Uh, and I really don't know all the details. Of, of, but I think it was just simply, you know, he had some sort of a contract with the Ludwigs and the Selmer people weren't going to renew it. And he didn't, he wasn't really crazy about working with the band instrument people. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. And, and so I think there was some falling out and Buddy had left. So, I see. Um, okay. Yeah. So I never actually got to work with Buddy at all during my time at Ludwig. Yeah. I thought there might have been a, just a slight overlap, but, I, but that makes sense. I remember. Um, cause he, he left us in 87 and, and I know those last few years he was playing, wasn't endorsing a drum company. He was playing right. those radio King drums that uh, yes. Joe McSweeney had put together for him. Um, yeah. I, I have to say, Jim, I think anybody who, who is on Facebook, they're watching this right now and as, uh, following you there, these, these posts that you're doing with the Ludwig catalogs are just spectacular with, with your, uh, you know, I think you're up to 1980 right now. Well, I'm category. doing 1980. I, I, actually, I just finished 1980. Now, today, I jumped down to 1960. Oh, you did? Oh, I haven't seen that yet. Okay. It's. I just want to say, I, I remember those catalogs in the early 70s when I first started, you know, when I first got interested, I, I had a drummer friend who was already playing a Ludwig set and had Ludwig and Slingerland, I think even a Campco catalog. And, uh, and just seeing those pictures that you put up by 1980, I was working at Wurlitzer, and we used to get those catalogs, and they were some of the most beautiful um, 
you know, I mean, it was Slingerland also did a great catalog, but I'd say those two companies were the best at, at really representing the products, you know, like oh, all yeah. in, and, under, yeah. and that's all Bill Ludwig. I mean, Bill Ludwig Jr. The second, he was, yeah, he chief. was a, the catalog guy. He, he was a, you know, forward thinking guy. And, uh, you know, I learned so much from him, you know, uh, that's why we called him the chief, you know, cause he was, you know, he was the chief executive officer. You know, when you think about that too, that we kept this guy going after he sold the company, traveling and being the ambassador for the brand for 22 more years. Amazing. Yeah. yeah. And, and, uh, you know, and so I, I will always be grateful to, to the Ludwig family. I still stay in touch with Brooke, Lud, uh, Brooke who is, uh, you know, Mr. Ludwig's uh, daughter and yes, Bill, yeah. Bill three, of course. And, you know, Bill three has his own company now doing kind of repeating history in a way. Yeah. With, yep. with WFL uh, line and stuff. Uh, but you know, I still, you know, I'm good friends with them, still respect them. Uh, I try to stay friends with everybody. Uh, I used to tell sometimes new people would come in and say, all right, we're getting all of our symbols from, we'll say Sabian. I said, no, we're not going to do that. <laughs> I said, I have yeah. built these relationships with every single symbol company. We're going to get, you know, three sets from Zildjian, three sets from Zabian, three sets from Peisty, and we're going to mix it up. And and then some of the others too, mine all too. And sure. uh, yeah. they say, Jim, we got to show loyalty. And I say, I am showing loyalty. Yeah, I know. I know. Yeah. No, I know. And and we always love that about you and, and respected that. And, 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 you know, I, we had the same thing kind of on our side too, where, you know, because of the relationship Zildjian has with Yamaha as a distributor in Japan and, and for a while in some other countries, you know, we would oftentimes have only Yamaha drum. If we had drum sets, even on the booth, they'd be yeah. Yamaha. And, and, you know, at a point it was like, well, you know, we've, we've got a show. We, we, you know, I work with all the drum companies. We have endorsers that play all the different drum companies and we can't just be aligned with one company, you know? Yeah. Um, it's it's a it's a I, I got to show you some things when I when I first joined Ludwig 1983 one of my first assignments they said we uh, we need you to go up to the fourth floor that's on Damon Avenue the fourth floor was the warehouse sort of not very yeah. doesn't make sense does it <laughs> no you would think the warehouse would be on the first floor but yeah you would it, hope so it, anyway. it didn't work that way and so they, I, I said, well, what am I looking for? They said, well, you're looking for some drums that have been scratched. Okay, scratched. Okay, so scratched, I'm looking for okay. scratched drums. Yeah, they're black and they got scratches on them. Oh, okay. And so I come down and I say, you mean, you mean these? Oh my gosh, are you kidding? And they said, yeah, those, they have like, like these scratches on them. Can you can you get rid of those? And I said, "Well, I can get rid of this one real fast for you." <laughs> and so there was about a hundred, hundred and twenty-five of them or so. So this is my nineteen seventy-nine uh, Ludwig Black Beauty, which would have been the last Black Beauties made on the Damon Avenue plant. Yeah, because wow. they were discontinued for a while afterwards, and uh, you know, and so so I like to show that. But then I also have. Another one in that Ludwig had the hammered bronze snare drums. And this is something I think I picked up in 1983 when I first started. And just, you know, just beautiful drums oh, that absolutely. were made on Damon Avenue that I, you know, made into my, my main go-to drums that I used, you know, for my, my drumming and things of that nature. That was my rock snare drum, of course. 
Yeah, yeah. But, but I try to use them. Of course, I am getting to the point where I've been collecting drums. Well, one, once I had a little bit of money to start collecting drums, I, I started adding more and more to the herd. And now I'm at that point of time where I say, I think I went too far. You know? Yeah. So eventually I got to start of what I call thinning the herd. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. And, uh, but anyways, it's been a, I, 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 that's why I love going to the Chicago drum show. I always have some finds yeah. there of, you know, things that are just so cool to, to look at, take pictures of, and then, you know, sometimes trade and get and things of that nature just to add to my, my collection. I mean, I love the fact that you have a Gretsch, a Rogers, a Ludwig all in your setup. I mean, that yeah. is, that is really cool. And, uh, you know, and so, and the final thing is for me was what Ludwig did for me. And this goes to the, the team at Ludwig today, which is, um, it was sort of done by, by Uli Salazar and Bob Henry and, uh, Mike Nealon. Uh, they got together and they said, how can we honor JCAT at, uh, uh, with his retirement? And so they made me an entire kit of, of, uh, they, they knew that I liked vintage white marine pearl. But they, had, Look at that. they had these cast, these this badge cast with my name on it. There's only two people that have a cast badge with their name on it. Three, uh, Alex Van Halen, Ringo, and myself, which is kind of cool. But this is my go-to snare drum now that I use in most of my, my gigs. And uh, and so those guys, they, they really did me right. And so, you know, I'm so thankful that, those keys that Mr. Ludwig gave to me and sort of put in my hand and said, you know, travel with this and you're going to take Ludwig for another three decades. And that's about exactly what I was able to do, you know, yeah, when he, wow. when he did that. And then now the fact that guys like the people I just mentioned, including Uli Salazar, you know, who just, he knows so much about the product. He respects the history of it. Yeah. And yep. knows the product. He's a drum builder himself. Okay. So it's just so heartwarming for me to see the, the, the product go into hands of people that care about it as much as I did as they try to take it forward. Yeah. And that, that feels good. That, that has to feel good. Yeah. That's, that's great. I mean, that's that's all you could ever hope for is that you you hand the keys to somebody like Uli that's that that not only has the dedication and the desire, but has the has the knowledge, you know, has the ability to to do that. You know, he's yeah. he's got all the he's got all the pieces there to do it. That's great. Wow, what beautiful drums and uh, fantastic! Wow. Yeah. No, I've been I've been really fortunate throughout most of my career and life and stuff. So yeah, it's been. It's been a joy. I mean, drums. I mean, that's part of my problem. I have, you know, all these drums that I know I got to start thinning the herd on, but I'm also saying, oh, no, I, I can't get rid of that one. No, I know. I know. They're, they're too beautiful. But I, but I also don't want to leave my wife with, with drums or my kids with drums that they don't know anything about. So I'm starting to, I'm going to start writing stories about each drum because almost every drum that I have has a story to it. Yeah. And many of them are prototypes. And I just got one more to show you. Yeah, this whatever. Was, as many as you want to show, Jim. This was given to me by Bill Ludwig. This is was his snare drum. And this is a drum that was, it's a Ludwig and Ludwig. Yeah. Mahogany Look. shell. 
I think it was called a Super Ludwig back in the day. I'm putting it a little bit closer. Yeah, that's great. And it's got, it's got snares on both the top and the bottom. In fact, he put a clear head on it for me. So you can see snares are on the top that are going on the bottom of the top head. Yep, and underneath, yep. snares on the bottom too. And it was at the time probably more of like a concert type snare drum you know, that yep. was used for symphonic type work. But, uh, you know, anyways, the chief gave me this. It looks like, you know, mahogany shell with glue rings. You can see them there. Look and, at uh, that. So, so this is a, this is a very, you know, a, a prize of mine. You know, one of these days, Mike Carrado from, uh, you know, the, the Vinnie's Drum Collector, he'll be asking me about that drum, I'm sure. I'm sure he will. Yeah. I, I just want to touch on the uh, the show, the Chicago show. My first time going, believe it or not, was two years ago um, where we had breakfast together one morning. And yeah. I had such a great time there. I could only stay for one day because my granddaughter on that on the Sunday, on the second day, was her um, dance recital. So I got on an early flight back home and went straight. Kelly picked me up at the airport. We went straight to the recital and I got to see my granddaughter. But I was excited to go last year. And of course, that didn't happen. And now they're saying they're having it this year. Um, are you th- are you going to go this year? I'm I'm hoping to. I would like to. I actually have a small booth. Uh, you know, uh, so yeah, it kind of depends on how things are going. You know, with yeah. with the pandemic, et cetera. Uh, yeah. But Rob Cook says that it is it's going on. It's it's going to happen. Uh, but a lot of it depends on Illinois and yeah the venue and things like that. And even though it's only two months away, even less than two months away, it's. Uh, you know, there still may be some things that could cause it to, you know, to be delayed. Yeah, that's what I, I think that, you know, let's, I, I'm not going to go this year, but I hope it happens. I hope it goes yeah. off. And it's, I mean, for me, it's only a 120 mile, 130 mile drive. So, you know, I can do that and probably can do it in, you know, two nights in a hotel. So, yeah. so uh, I, I would like to do it, but it will be my first time to travel anywhere. So I'm a yeah. little tenuous about it. All I mean, I, I'm I'm still teaching in person at Notre Dame, which is I mean, I just looked at the uh, what's called the dashboard at Notre Dame today, uh, approaching 1,200 cases of COVID this semester. Wow. Yeah, there were 2,000 people that had COVID last semester. By the way, there's only 8,500 students at Notre Dame. Uh, yeah, that's. So, Those aren't good numbers. No, it's not good numbers. No. And of course, you know, I mean, I'm vaccinated, but still I go there. I got my face shield. I got my mask. I stay, yeah. you know, 10 feet solid away and, uh, you know, lots of hand sanitizer and, and cleaning supplies. But it's still kind of it's risky just going over to teach. And it's and it's hard to teach with masks and all that stuff on. But, hey, people are doing it everywhere, you know, and so so it's just it's the way it is. You know, I do have one lesson that I still teach via Zoom too. That's why you see all my practice pads and yeah, everything behind yeah. me. You know, so but it's um, still good. My bandmate Neil Porter, um, guitar player, a singer, plays great acoustic guitar. Really enjoyed your stories. So I just want to say you got a you got a a, a thumbs up from my buddy Neil Porter. Who's oh, thanks. There's there's so many. You know, different people have said you really got to write these all down. And, uh, you know, I know I should and stuff. And, you know, when it, I just got to hope I don't, you know, lose my mind where I start forgetting the stories, you know, because they, <laughs> there's just, they're just some precious types of things that, you know, great experiences that I got to have 
that yeah. no almost no one else could have. It was it was something that that you know I got to experience, especially Absolutely. With being with the Chiefs so much and and the different artists and things like that was you know really very very special time. So uh, it's been a joy, I tell you. I what's so cool is that here it's been a what a year. It'll be two years at the end of June that I've been retired, and I still feel like I'm part of the brand. Okay, that's great. Yeah, and, and uh, I'm still promoting the brand still still just part of it and so i think that's uh i think i will be forever that's great and so yeah i i i'm happy about that just the same way that bill ludwig was i mean you know i mean i don't go to shows i don't want to go to shows now <laughs> you know <laughs> no. there are no shows now <laughs> but, but but anyways you know bill ludwig retired when he was uh 66 years old you know i'm 67 yeah. But he's, he, he was committed and he stayed active with the brand for all that, that time, uh, you know, until he was in his, well, we'll say late 80s yeah. when yeah. his health, you know, didn't uh, uh, permit him to, to do it anymore. But, uh, you know, I hope that I can just continue to stay involved. And I think when you're a player, when you are out there playing and gigging and you're part of a company's legacy or heritage, uh, it all connects much better. You know, sometimes I sit back and I realize that my 36 years at Ludwig, it's only been in existence for 111 years. And wow. so basically, I had a position of responsibility with the Ludwig brand for a third of its entire existence. That's amazing. I never thought to to do the math on that, but you're absolutely right. That's yeah, phenomenal. Well, your, your, your time at Zildjian, your, your percentage would be a little smaller. It's a blip. <laughs> Going back to 1623, that would be a little, yeah. little smaller. 24 but, years out of 400, right. <laughs> <laughs> right. But, but anyways, you know, just, just the fact that, you know, that I had been, you know, part of the brand for, for 36 years. But the other thing that was really neat was I was the first person that was not a Ludwig family member. That yeah, was sort yeah. of, and look, I was never really in charge. There were people above me in charge. One of the things you need to understand with, you know, Ludwig was a company that had Bill Ludwig and the president, the vice presidents and all of the people. Well, when that got purchased by Con Selmer or by Selmer in 1981, Ludwig became a division. Yeah. As opposed yeah. to a company. Okay. Yeah. And so yeah. when they put me in the marketing, sales and marketing role, I was sort of at the top of the division. But there were other people that were vice presidents of Selmer and the later Con Selmer. That yeah. they were in charge. And so when I say I was never in charge, I sort of mean that. Okay. Well, yeah. but I was responsible for everything that was Ludwig and Musser. Right. Which was a lot of responsibility, especially from 1990, it was either 92 or 94 until 2013 when we were a public company. Mm -hmm. That, yeah. that was really difficult to keep. Yeah moving viably, you know, through, uh, you know, the expectations of what everybody had of a public company traded uh, trading on Wall Street. Yeah. Because yeah. Con Selmer was owned by Steinway, 
Ludwig was owned by Con Selmer, but it was still at all counted. And so when you had to do presentations, you're giving presentations to big people. Yeah. Who yep. are, you know, taking care of stockholders, shareholders, as we call it. So it became very real as far yeah. as the responsibilities that you had to do. Absolutely. Yeah, that's that's where you cut the mustard right there. I mean, when you're well, I, I, I won't put words in your mouth, but you're you're in a position where you're you're answering to, you know, you've you're answering to, to different masters. You've got yeah. keeping the shareholders happy and keeping the drummers in the the world happy, you know, it's it and sometimes those two things aren't the same and yeah. And I know. And, and yeah. what I had to do is I had to be what I call the filter. I was the filter. And what I mean by that is that there was the drum industry over here that had the expectations of what Ludwig was. Okay. Yeah. Then yeah. there is the corporate world over here, the Wall Street corporate world. I had to be the guy that took, was the filter in between that could absorb the information from the drum industry and from Ludwig, the, the brand, yeah. and then present it back out to the corporate world. And that wasn't easy. You yeah. know, no, I, because you had to, you had to play both sides of that fence yeah. and to be able to do that for a long period of time. I mean, that was, it was, it was quite a challenge. But I tell you, I learned so much. There was a time period, most people don't know this, that Ludwig was actually for sale in 1989. And I had to sit down. It was a lot of responsibility, but I had to sit down with the different companies that tried to buy Ludwig. One of them was Pearl. One mm-hmm. of them was KHS, which mm-hmm. would be Mapex or Jupiter. Okay? Yeah, and Sonar. Yeah. And yes, and now Sonar. Then there were some private equity you know, hedge fund type companies. And then there was another company called Zildjian. I know. Yeah. <laughs> that, that looked at buying that. And I had to sit down with your CEOs of the time and go over all the numbers. G- working with Zildjian was not too bad because I didn't feel like I was working with a competitor. Yeah. But when I had to sit down and unveil the numbers and the processes and everything to say the people from Pearl or the people from KHS, which would be Mapex, that was difficult. Oh, and Henry Juskowitz from um, from Gibson. Gibson, yeah, yep. And and so, you know, I was put into when I was very young into some pretty challenging negotiation type of things. And then what was great? The president of the company at that time, his name was Bill Peterson, and he called me in and he said, "Jim, I we need you need to help me sell Ludwig." And I said, "Oh well, Mr. Peterson, I'm always out there selling Ludwig." <laughs> no, hear me out. Hear me out. I need you to help me sell Ludwig. Oh. 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 He said, but while we are selling Ludwig, I need you to continue to sell Ludwig as if <laughs> nothing is going to happen. Wow. And you know what? We did. And buckled down. Uh, it was in the uh, years that I was, uh, I had just met my wife, Pam. We weren't married yet. So it was my single years. And I, I was, I was worrying about having to move away and going with whoever bought us. Yeah. 
But boy, talk about a challenge. And during that time, what was great, and I don't know if you can see my hands, but mm -hmm. sales during that particular time started doing this. I don't know if it had anything to do with me. I just think the good Lord smiled down on us and said, we're going to help you get some sales up here to the point where we got to the point where all of a sudden the president called me in and he said, okay, Ludwig is doing well enough that now we're not going to sell Ludwig. Wow. And How about that? You know, and so that kind of cemented a little bit of my credibility with the company for the, you know, the next uh, 10 years or so, you know, even tw 13 years. And, and so, you know, what a challenging time though, but to sit down with these big hedge fund guys and, you know, the, the wall street people and, and try to explain this small little company. Now, yeah. The last, the last story I'll talk about on that part, was just, they'd, I'd say, okay, now we're going to need to do this new five octave marimba. Okay, Jim. So how many thousand are we going to sell? We're going to do about 50. Okay, 50,000? No, no, no. 50. 50 units. 50 units. And if we do 50 units, we're going to be 40% of the market. <laughs> and so to get Wall Street people with a mindset for that, yeah, it, it was always a, a, a challenge. This and, is great. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then even, you know, with many, many products, I remember I would have situations where, you know, you know, certain people that were in charge, they'd say, okay, Jim, so you want to add this new, this, uh, this uh, new color of blue, you know, to the a drum set. Yeah, we're going to add the blue. Okay. Well, how many are we going to sell of the blue? Well, we're going to, I hope to sell this many. Well, that's not that many. I said, well, that's because the blue is going to take away from the black and the red and the white. Right. No, no, yeah. we can't have that. We can't have that. We got to sell the same amounts. And I say, it doesn't work that way. Yeah. Incremental. Yeah. It doesn't work right. that way. Yeah. So, so those were the kind of challenges when you're dealing with wall street type people of what you had to deal with, but yeah. you know, manage, we managed to get through it. I managed to survive. I managed to, you know, stay there until it was time where I said to myself, I'm going to retire. And I, and I retired at a perfect time when I had a chance to go to work at a university. And even though I'm just a part-time, low-level instructor, I mean, I'm not a professor or anything like that. And I had a chance to do something else and to enjoy life in a sort of a just different way. Yeah. And, and uh, realizing that I've had a really successful career, uh, but I wanted to enjoy life more. And you're still young enough to... to enjoy it which is great you know you're 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 you feel good you're you're you know you're you're still well, in great shape when when the weather's good i'm out riding my bike a lot now i'm not a runner like you are okay uh i'm a walker and that's, that's good. because you know i got my dog and i take my dog for walks every day sometimes twice a day and uh so i you know i enjoy that and uh but i uh you know and i'll and it's a beautiful day here today. So I would be out on my bike, you know, if I wasn't here, you know, <laughs> riding my bike just for fun. And, and, and of course, drumming, drumming is an aerobic activity. Yeah, absolutely. And, and so, you know, I, I just feel so fortunate that I think drumming keeps you young and having an interest like collecting drums and just being involved in the drum industry. It's just been such an interesting thing because yeah. remember like you, I mean, yes, I'm seven years older than you, 
but we grew up with these Ludwig catalogs. Yeah. Yep. And I, I'm fortunate that I have a scan of every catalog. Okay. So that's, that's why I can great. do the photos that I do. Okay. But because we grew up with them and we, they were our dream books. And so, you know, here, you know, we're looking at the centerfold of drum catalogs when other people, other teenagers, our, our years, were looking at centerfolds of other cat, other magazines. We're looking, at, <laughs> right. we're looking at drum catalogs. That's true. <laughs> yeah. And so, and so it became such an honor to be able to work for a company, especially a legacy brand like a Ludwig. Yeah. Or yeah. Zildjian. I mean, when you think about brands, Zildjian, Ludwig, Fender, I mean, those are the legacy brands, Gibson, you know, yeah. uh, Steinway and pianos that have lasted the time. And I think that was the single biggest challenge that I had as a marketing and sales guy for Ludwig was that you had to remember the company's legacy as you projected forward and keeping the company fresh and vibrant and moving forward because if you if you forgot any part of the legacy a certain element of your followers is not going to like that that's right they're going to pull away from you and so it was this constant challenge and and I will say balance yeah you had to balance what was what was new with with what was old and that made it even more difficult than for like a company like a, like say a Tama or a Pearl or a Mapex, that they're modern companies. Yes. Yeah. And they could have kind of, you know, and they have very good designers. So they could do whatever they wanted to do and and people wouldn't look at them from the past and say, well, but it's not like what you did in the 50s or the 60s. Exactly. Yep. But, but very all, key, what you just said. Yeah. yeah. We always had always had that problem. And, and that's why, you know, I, I love what Uli... And the Ludwig team is able to do now is they continue to keep that vibe happening. Yeah. Going yep. forward, even though they keep coming up with new and innovative types of things. And, you know, and it's all about innovation. Mr. Ludwig was the king of innovation. He, remember, he wasn't an engineer himself, but he had a team of people always around him that kept things driving forward. Uh, yeah. Just like we have a, a, a young engineer down at the Ludwig factory named Ryan Taylor, uh, who is just, he's a drummer. He's just a brilliant, and he's a young guy. You know, I think he's only 31 or two years old and he's designing all kinds of things, even stuff that hasn't come out yet that, you know, the markets will be hearing about soon. And, you know, that's what I love is the fact that we have a, this new generation that is looking at things, respecting the past and driving driving forward into the future. Yeah. yeah. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. Well, I just have to say, um, you're going to see these comments when you, when you look at them, but many, many people are saying, and I'm going to say it too. You might want to think about writing a book. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> Rob Cook um, actually said, he said, you might want to think about writing a book, Jim. And he said, and I'll be your editor. And so, well, uh, what's better than that, right, Rob yeah. Cook? Yeah, you know, and and I started thinking about it, and really, it's just you know, it's it's my journey, it's my journey as a drummer, really, and uh, where, wow, I mean, what what an experience. Yeah, well, one one final comment I'm going to read to you that you'll see our good friend Jerry Donigan said, wow. Jim, you are always a class act, but Ludwig was fortunate to have you on board, and uh, Amen, Jerry. 
Ah, well, thank yeah. you, Jerry. Uh, I and see, he was part of that group too, of yeah. you know, hanging with Lenny. I hung out with a lot with with the Zildjian people back in in the earlier days, and I learned a lot from all these guys. And whenever I had questions about marketing or anything, I would always go to them. That that was the other thing that was so great about the earlier era of the industry, is that there was enough room for everybody. Okay, sales were were on an upswing, yeah. and there was, it was sort of like everybody had their share of the pie and there weren't that many players, but you could, you could pull information from other people. And there was this camaraderie. I think there's a general camaraderie amongst us drummers anyways. Exactly. But there was a definite camaraderie amongst the industry people that we wanted to help each other. Yeah. And, yeah. and I think I'll always be appreciative of that. Me too. Yeah, I, I I agree. I think we all, at the time, uh, and and you know, we felt fortunate to be where we were, whatever company we worked for. And and you're right. There was this this whole kind of attitude or vibe of like everybody helping everybody. You know, and it it wasn't a it wasn't a um, as competitive, I guess, or or yeah, it it felt differently. And and for anyone who who uh, doesn't know who Jerry Donegan is, Jerry worked for Zildjian for. Jerry, I hope I have this right. Forty, probably forty plus years. Um, his he he was Zildjian's vice president of global sales for the last twenty something years that he was with the company. I was very fortunate to work with Jerry for he he left Zildjian retired a year before me. So for like twenty three years, I I worked side by side with Jerry and uh, an incredible wealth of information and knowledge. And um, so, Jerry, thanks for watching. Big shout out. Well, Jim, this has been so great, so fantastic. Um, I want to give you some time to get out and enjoy the day and ride your bike. Um, yeah, the dog's waiting for me. Okay. <laughs> I, I, I want to – don't go away. We'll, we'll sign okay. off on the live stream. But okay. I want to just say thank you and, and uh, thanks to everybody for watching today and to tune in Saturday for Andy Newmark. Um, which probably won't be half as good as this. No, no, <laughs> this has been so great. I, I've, I've enjoyed this so much and thank you for, for being here today. And anything you want to say in closing? Well, just thank you, John. You, you've always been a class act. And, you know, like I said, you're, you know, with you hosting these things, it's just a, a really wonderful thing. You know, you're the, you're the David Letterman of, of the drum industry. <laughs> <laughs> thank you yeah thank you i well, said that because he he loves drummers i know yeah that's good maybe i'll maybe i'll grow the beard like him i'll look like ron Donette and <laughs> i wouldn't i wouldn't and david and, letterman ron, <laughs> all right well, ron lose the beard <laughs> yeah ron lose the beard well thanks again big hand for jim catalano everybody okay thank uh, you everyone it's been a joy uh fantastic all right jim hang on one sec i'll see you in a second